feel like every time Jeff or I start one of these talks, it's just like a gushing show of affection of how happy we are and privileged we are to be here with you. So I thought I'd continue that by saying I have just really enjoyed this week with you all. I hope it's been beneficial and as as Dom was just kind of pastoring our own hearts and souls to think about the goodness of God during a a time that feels dark and dry, difficult. It's just there's... It reminds me of people who have been through a traumatic experience like war. They may not have served in the same platoon, but when they show up, they had the same experience. And just looking over the crowd each time we've gotten the chance to open the word with you, we have the same experience. I think God's heart for his church is so beautiful in that moments like this truly are a glimpse of heaven because we are all one church on one mission seeking to shine light in dark places, to proclaim the good news of Jesus so that his kingdom could be built more and more and more, in particular this week, with that younger generation. And I, I, just, I just, there's something as I'm sitting back there worshiping and processing, it's just, there's something exciting. This is a glimpse of heaven. This is what we get to do for all of eternity. This is conditioning our hearts for a moment where for all of eternity we get to cry out, with all the heavenly hosts, the goodness of God, and get to enjoy the presence with his people. And so tonight I get to continue that. Jeff has gone home, um, thank God, right? Um, All that crying he's been doing. Um, I'm just joking. Uh, Watch me cry tonight. Uh, And uh, my wife ended up having to go home. Her her grandparents are very old, and they got COVID, and it's not looking good. So if you could pray for them, that that would mean a lot. So I'm I'm solo. I got to hold it down. Me and Dom, we got this. Um, he said if I play my cards right, I might get to play the, the foot kick thing there that he has. So, um, But hey, here's what I want to do tonight. I want to start tonight with a little bit of a trigger warning. I'm going to go into some of the depths of my emotional um, unhealth and, and some of my emotional and mental diagnoses as relates to Psalm 46. Uh, I, I want to do so with the intent of opening us all up to a level of vulnerability um, that, that could maybe allow us to feel safe as leaders, to be honest, when we're hurting. Uh, the point of what I'm going to share with you, and, and I'm probably over-preparing you for what I'm going to share. It's really not that big a deal. I kind of alluded to it already. Um, but it's, it's just to maybe set the, set the stage for the heart of this psalm, Psalm 46. And where this psalm found, found me was in the, the lowest of the lowest of the low. And, and maybe you're not there, maybe you are. But there are moments where our souls need to be reminded that God's with us and that God's for us. And so let me read Psalm 46, and we're going to jump into it. This is, this is, my, favorite, this is my favorite psalm. I would pro- you know, every time I teach, you'll hear me say, this is my favorite passage. But this one really is my favorite. And you'll see why. Ready? Feel free to read along. Feel free to close your eyes and reflect on these words if you'd like to. Um, just don't sleep, okay? Ready? Here we go. Psalm 46, one says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her and she shall not fall. 
God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar and kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done and the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Father, we come before you tonight with open hearts and souls that just want to hear from you. May we be men and women, leaders, people of influence who desire intimacy over influence. Would we long for that moment with you in the quiet place, in the secret place? Would we long for you, God, as as nothing else in our lives? Open our hearts up to yours tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, like I shared, I, I have a bit of a wounded past when it comes to the topic of mental health. I found myself in the summer of 2017 at the lowest of the low. It was, it was midnight, and I had convinced myself in my unhealth and my refusal to get health that God was not only done with me, but that my family would be better off without me. And so late that night, I, I found myself in my closet with my back up against my gun safe, and I was sitting in there just kind of pondering all of the ways that I could do this horrible thing to myself. And I'm sitting there just thinking and, and, and really in despair and in unhealth. The chemical imbalance in my brain had never been worse. The way that I was taking care of myself physically, emotionally, and spiritually couldn't have been worse. The lies that I was believing of myself couldn't have been more from the pit of hell. When the door flung open and the light clicked on. Now here's what you got to know about my wife. She doesn't wake up at midnight. Like she goes, she's like an old man. She's like, 9 p.m., see you in the morning. You know, I'm like... All right. So I'm sitting in, in the closet in the moments, uh, the, the darkest moment of my life. Like this is the moment where coming back out of that room, I almost said coming out of the closet, but I don't want you guys to laugh at me, but coming back out of that room, I, 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 I had made a change. So she comes in and she goes, what are you doing in here? She could see that I was crying, that I had been emotional. And I looked at her and I, I hardly had the words because not only did I know that they would crush her to hear, but I knew that these words were words that I had not verbally spoken. I was, I was caught in an unhealthy, toxic think cycle. And so I'm feeling this tension of, of really what Scripture would call confession, as well as knowing that this is going to bring deeper intimacy, as well as some distrust with my wife. I've been suffering in silence for quite some time, and I, I was trying to think of the words to say, and I opened my mouth, and all of them came out. I told her everything. And she's, she's so caring and kind and compassionate that she sat on the floor in front of me and just cried with me. And she said, I told you I'd probably cry. Don't tell Jeff. Um, <laughs> and she said, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about your future. I want you to think about the future that God has for you. And when that end comes, it will be on his time, not yours. 
I want you to think about the future of our kids and our daughters that you're going to walk down the aisle and our, our sons that you're going to teach to be men. And I want you to think about growing old with me. I want you to think about the future. And truthfully, that's where the name for the organization that I now run came from, Onward. Let's think about the future. Because the decisions that we make today have heavy consequences and implications of all of our futures. And so what she did from that moment forward is, is probably, if not the, the single greatest act of love. She went around the house. I woke up the next morning. And if you've ever been caught in, in sin or unhealth, it's freeing when you get it out, isn't it, guys? And you probably see this in your students, but I'm curious to know when the last time you experienced it for yourself was, if you can relate to that struggle. And so I woke up, and I, I got up, you know, we all have a morning routine, and I go to the sink to brush my teeth, and I look, and there's an index card with a Bible verse on it. And before I could even see what the Bible verse was, I turn, and there's one on her mirror, and there's one on the shower, and it was like a little Easter egg hunt. I go in the restroom. She had taped one to the back of the door. There was one in my sock drawer uh, right there, right when you open it, just sitting right on top. And, and so what she did for me was she said, I want to keep in front of my husband what is true because he's allowed himself to be filled with things that are lies. And one of the, one of the verses that, that spoke to me in that moment, and if you can if you could feel my emotion right now, it's for this reason, was Psalm 46. And so from then on, I had just become obsessed with it. I mean, look, look back at these words with me, if you will. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Like, we live in a day and age where people's presence is incredibly difficult to come by, right? Like, we're that family that, like, if we're having dinner, phones are not at the table. Why? Because we want to see each other's eyes. We want to talk. I'm that guy that if I have friends over who are like on their phone, I go, hey, 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 hey. I'm also that guy that my wife goes, get off your stinking phone. You know, like, like presence is difficult to come by. Did you know that when you're in times of trouble, we have an ever-present God who's willing to be our refuge and strength? Like this, this bottled up, pent up emotion, this fear, this uncertainty, this doubt that we're facing because of the state of the world, we have an ever-present God who is always willing to jump into that closet with us at our deepest, darkest moment and remind us not only of who he is, but of who we are. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Then he says, therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way. Now, if, if you've struggled with mental illness, you understand what, that, what those words can feel like, the earth giving way. If you watch the news, you can understand what it feels like when the earth gives way. If, if you have faced a family emergency, a calamity, a health crisis, you understand what it feels like when the earth gives way, when the foundation, the bedrock of what's under you, where you built your identity, where you built your life, where you get your joy, your source of everything, when that goes, you know what that feels like. But, but what the psalmist is reminding us of in this moment he says, we don't have to fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Charles Spurgeon once said that I have learned to embrace the waves that smash me into the rock of ages. I have learned to allow the hardness of life and the difficulty of what we face as humans here on this earth to remind me of my need for a sovereign savior. Like we sing, he's a good God. 
The other thing you have to understand contextually about this passage is obviously it's written during the time of Israel's reign as a nation. They're constantly at war with surrounding nations. Wartime talk is very familiar throughout the Old Testament and a little bit in the New because this, this is how you've got to survive. Like You've got to defend what's yours. But if you think back to the book of 1 Samuel, we, we know, I'm, I'm sure you guys know this, that Israel wasn't meant to have an earthly king. That, that, that Israel was meant to be a theocracy, and under that theocracy were a group of wise people known as judges who could act on behalf of God's plan and will for the nation of Israel. Well, we know that that's not the case. And God, being a redeemer, brought a couple good kings through the fold, and there was a lot of bad kings through the fold. But it's in that wartime context that this psalm really begins to make sense. And I'm I'm not one to to make Scripture mold around my life, but I can tell you that a battle with mental illness very much feels like war, an inner war. And I can tell you that being a leader during a time of an unprecedented pandemic for a century feels like you're at war. I can tell you living in a time where truth is challenged and questioned every single day, and the most uncool person today is someone who builds their life upon Scripture. We're bigots, we're ignorant, we're hateful, we're divisive. Not even to throw the, 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 the downfall of so many leaders who were sort of our spokespeople towards culture in the last three years alone. Like We find ourselves in the midst of a war. And it's in the midst of that war that the psalmist here, it's the sons of Korah, wants us to know that we have an ever-present help in times of trouble. That when you're at war, that when your life is a mess, then it feels like your tribe is being attacked from every angle. It feels as though the earth is giving way and the mountains are falling into the heart of the sea. We have someone we can trust who is an ever-present help in times of trouble. The sovereign God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The one who we preach and teach until we are red in the face with sweat coming down our brow to our students and our tribes every week. But do you believe that to be true about God? Like it's one thing to teach. I, I have very few hobbies. Teaching and preaching are one of them. Not necessarily me teaching and preaching, but I love to watch everybody. Like I love to study the craft of communication. I love it so much. I love it because it shows me what not to do. I don't wear my nice sneakers when I preach anymore. Uh, And it shows me what to do. Like the basis of the best sermons are always founded on the reminder that we were once far from God, yet God in his kindness drew us near. I think it's important for us to take doses of our own medicine sometimes. And where I found myself at that point in my life, about five years ago almost, was a time where I needed to start practicing what I had been preaching. And so just to solve that story, because I know I was hanging out with Jeff and everyone came up to him and was like, what happened to that soccer player? What happened to that soccer player? Um, here, here, side note, Jeff wanted me to tell you that um, he has a soccer ball in his head. I'm just kidding. No, he, got, he lived, I think is the point. He got kneed in the head and got a concussion, but he's, he's okay now. I, don't, I, feel really, I feel like a reporter. Like I don't know any of these people, but let me just tell you. <laughs> Better than better than the news, I suppose. So uh, what I did as a result of, of that moment in my life is I, I went to therapy twice a week for about two years. And then since then, I've been paired up with an amazing guy named Mike, who has been my like personal friend and mentor and coach, as well as a whole slew of other people who, who spiritually pour into me that I'm accountable to. 
And so like I, I went for it. Like I didn't just say I want to get healthy. Like I went for it. I paid for it. I took medication for about a year. And then I started doing some intense workouts and felt like that remedied it a little better for me. I felt better. And since then, I have not been back to that place. I, I would go as far as to say God healed me of that. And I'm so thankful because I feel like I can be my whole self for my friends, for my family, for, for my flock, for those people in my life. Like I have, I am a wounded warrior now. I, I walk with a limp now and I'm proud to share it. As vulnerable and awkward as it may be for people who don't know the struggle, there are countless others who struggle in silence. And I want to remind you that God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He's with you. He's for you. You see, back to what I was saying about Israel is it, it, was a, it was a nation that was constantly under war that was never meant to have anyone fight for them except for God. Like that was the, that was the plan that God had for them. Their leadership, their safety, their protection, and their provision was to come from God. And the way in which they were going to receive that was to trust him wholly and completely. But we, we would call this nowadays to be faithful. Like God wanted in return for his, his guardianship, his ownership of them, he desired that they would be faithful to him. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, is a famous passage, but, but look at it in light of this kind of context that we find ourselves in today. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 say, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. This is the way that we as humans are to live in light of who God is. We are supposed to live with trust that it's God who's leading us, that it's God who's guiding us, and that it's God who is ultimately going to provide for us. Like this is what it means to be in humble submission to, to Jesus. Like quite literally in chapter Luke, verse 923, Jesus is addressing a multitude of crowds at Caesarea Philippi who all were there because this is the guy that raises dead people. This is the guy that turns water to wine and I'm out at home. And so I want to see what this dude has to offer me. And he looks at the crowd and the word says, he says to them all, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and pick up their cross daily to follow me. So I have to imagine people turned around and left. To deny yourself, Jesus says in the, in the Greek, he says, hey, you want to be one of my disciples and you want me to be a rabbi, you have to die to yourself and you have to live a crucified life, understanding that the crucifixion, uh, the tool of crucifixion was one of the most horrible ways you can die during the time of Christ in that part of the world. And so Jesus kind of sets the bar real high. Yeah, you can be with me and you can have rights to everything that my disciples have, but here is what it is going to cost you. It's going to cost you your life. And I don't know at what point we forgot that following Jesus costs us everything. I think we have tricked ourselves into thinking that we can have the best of God and the best of what our culture has to offer, and the marriage of those two things makes us a powerful and influential leader when God's word says, all that I'm after to take care of you is your humble submission and trust in me. But we want to blend the two. We want to mix the two. We, we want Jesus and we want the greatest strategy. We want Jesus and we want this. We want Jesus and we want to be the most effective book-selling, podcasting pastor the world has ever seen. And God's going, maybe I don't intend that for you. Maybe I have a life for you that is beyond your wildest imagination. And all that it takes for you to see the path that I want you to go down with me is trust. Trust me. 
Allow me to be your God and you can be my person. I don't know about you guys, but I, I share this story often. So if, I've, if, I've, if you've heard me teach before, I apologize, but it's a great story. So I love Chick-fil-A. Like I have a Chick-fil-A like gold like status on the app. I don't, I'm not saying that's a brag, but I'm bragging. Like I have eaten so much Chick-fil-A, I have a fake status. Like I'm ready for the metaverse, y'all. Like I'm ready for what Zuckerberg's thrown out there because I already did it with Chick-fil-A. Um, and so one day, my wife was out of town. She is an author, and she'll teach some, sometimes. And so she was teaching at an event, and I'm home holding it down with the kids. And I go, hey, you guys want to go to Chick-fil-A? And oh, might as well be Christmas. Might as well be their birthday. Might as well be Easter. We love Chick-fil-A. And so I go, all right, here's what we're going to do. Four kids, remember? I go, hey, all four of you, shoes on, meet me in the car. Now, moms do it different. Moms do the shoes themselves. They make sure the clothes match. They do the hair. Dads go, just put something, cover what needs to be covered. It's Chick-fil-A, no shirt, no shoes. Yes, you have to have shoes, and then I'll meet you in the car. And so I'm in the car, car started, garage is open. Uh, kid one comes in, kid two comes in, kid four comes in, which is a minor miracle. Like our, our daughter, Maylee, was adopted and, and had a really horrible upbringing. And this is only a year after we brought her home, and she got her shoes on. So I'm like, Phew it's the Lord's chicken, baby. Let's do this. <laughs> Where's kid number three? And I see the, the door handle that goes from the laundry room to the garage jiggling. And I'm like, again, dads are different than moms. I go, let's see what happens. <laughs> like at no point did I say I should help him. I was like, I want to see what's going on. And so the door opens and I look and it's my son like with jaws of life arms with toys in each hand, a fistful of toys in each hand, opening the door trying, comes out, tries to put his shoes on. He somehow manages, because he's my son. He's an impressive guy, right? And so he gets, there were slip-ons. I should just tell you, there were slip-ons. It wasn't that impressive. But he gets his shoes on, and then he comes to the car door, and I go, hop in, bud. We're going to Chick-fil-A. And he goes, okay, Dad, open the door for me. This isn't a parenting seminar, but I'll say, again, difference between dads and, and moms. I'm not going to open the door. Like, you got to open the door. And he goes, Dad, just open the door for me. And I go, Maxie, his name's Max. I'm not going to open the door for him. He goes, but I can't because I have toys in my hands. And I'm like, yep. That's, I observed that too. And so I'm excited to see what we're going <laughs> to So I go, Bubba, let's um, put your toys down, open the door, pick the toys back up, or better yet, leave the toys here because you're about to get a toy. We're going to Chick-fil-A. He goes, Dad, I always trade the toy for ice cream. And I was like, fair. All right, we'll bring the toys. It's fine. We're bringing the toys. Um, you got to open the door, and it's like a stalemate. Like, he's standing there like, I'm not going to open it, and I'm going, well, I'm not going to open it. And then, and then my oldest daughter, Marley, who's like just the sweetest girl, is like, I'll open it. I'm like, you sit down. <laughs> we're, we're learning here. We're teaching something. And it wasn't until he dropped what was in his hand that he was able to hop in the car and go to what I believe is truthfully the happiest place on earth. Like, it wasn't until he released what was in his hand that he was able to go to where his dad wanted him to go. And I think that this passage is, is, is proclaiming to us an incredibly similar story. Look at Psalm 43, Psalm 46, verse 10. Psalm 40, 46, verse 10, it says this. Right at the end of this passage, it says, He says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and and know that I am God. What do, you, what do you suppose the term be still means? 
Anybody? Not a trick question. Be still. Be still. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you guys are smart. Um, yeah, be still. Sure, be in his presence. Shut up. I like that. I'm going to use that. Dan. Perfect. Thank you, CSB. Um, so quite literally, the term be still in, in Hebrew translates to drop what's in your hand. Surrender. So this is the call of God in Psalm 46. The world is falling apart. Your life is in turmoil. I'm an ever-present help in times of trouble. And here's what you need to do to receive this from me let go of what you were fighting with. I find myself in a season of life that is a wild ride. I quit my job with no paycheck and I've started a nonprofit. Fundraising is not what I thought I quit my job to do, but I started a nonprofit, which means there's no profits involved. Unless I go share the vision of what I'm doing with people who I think are like minded and invite them into financial generosity. And so for the last two months, I have found myself equal parts trying to trust God that this is an opportunity he has led and prepared me for since I was 19 years old while also reading every strategic book I can. Not a bad thing. I have found myself praying the deepest, most vulnerable prayers, humbling myself before people, asking for advice, while simultaneously scared out of my black jeans that I'm wearing that my family's going to fall apart because I just committed financial treason by, by following some passion project. In the last two months, we've raised $103,000 for Onward. And here's how we did it. By moving really slow and prayerfully asking God, where, where should we go and what should we do? I haven't done a massive social media marketing campaign. I haven't done a massive mail thing. I haven't done an email list. I haven't hired a company to give me money in return for tech. Like, I haven't done any of that. I've simply tried to trust God, and it's going good, but can I just tell you, it is the scariest and most intense thing I have ever participated in, trying to trust God. Here, here's what I have to let go of in my hand in this season of life, my, my wit, my woo, my communication, my network. Like, if I'm not careful, I may be able to accomplish what I believe is on my heart without God. If you're not careful, you may be able to, from the outside, have a successful ministry completely void of God's touch and God's spirit in your ministries. This is what happens when instead of letting go what's in our hands, instead of letting it go, we pick more up. We, 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 we listen to podcasts, we read books, we mimic the churches around us that are successful, and we do so because we want the outside perception to be that we are successful. But what if the hardship of ministry is the greatest tool God is using to form and mold and make you more like himself? And every time you shortcut that, you're missing out on opportunities for spiritual growth because you're choosing to take a shortcut by doing something someone else was doing. I think as ministry leaders, you are at your most powerful when you are still, when you are surrendered. Hebrew word rafa, 
when you have refad what's in your hand, when you have stopped the fighting, when you have given up on trying, because you know that when you do, there's actually now room for God to show up and fight for you. Like it's possible to figure this thing out in such a way that God is completely cut out of the equation except being the subject matter that we talk about in our sermons. Turn, turn with me to Exodus 14. Exodus 14, verse 14, is the first place we see this word refah in Scripture. Contextualize it for you. Book of Exodus, obviously, it's written by Moses because there's an exodus of Israel out of Egypt, right? And so uh, if you were at Hume this summer... Um, you, you saw this played out in, in the theme that they had. It was incredible. So fun to teach. You see uh, Moses. You see the plagues. You see like all the crazy things. We pick this up after the plagues and just before they're about to cross. And it says this. I'm actually going to start a few verses before. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looking up, looked up and there were Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? We're talking right now about people who have seen the most horrific miracles in the Bible. Like they have seen the, the wrath of God and the might of God on display for their freedom. And they're in the desert and they have already forgotten what they saw that liberated them from the hands of the Egyptians and they go, did you bring us here to die because there weren't enough graves in Egypt for two million or whatever Israelites? Is that why we're here? They start grumbling. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians? Rabbit trail. There's going to be moments in your shepherding where you take people to a place where they feel uncomfortable. It could be a mission trip. It could be a summer camp. It could be a vulnerable moment in a community group or what have you. And what you have to know is that when, when we as humans feel threatened, we go, limbic system snaps on, and we go fight, flight, or fee, flee. What, what, what the Israelites are facing here is a moment where they're, like, they're literally feeling as though their survival instincts need to take over, and they're angry because their leader has led them to a place of discomfort. Moses doesn't back down. Moses doesn't allow the grumbling of his flock to keep him from doing what he believes God called and asked and spoke to him to do. And I think as leaders, there's something really beautifully important for us to pay attention to in that. You're the one that gets to set the vision and the direction alongside of God. You're the one that gets to build the team in whatever type of structure your church has. And you have to understand that that's going to come sometimes with incredibly difficult decisions that could mean incredibly costly things like seeing students leave and go to another church. But you know how Moses had confidence that he was doing the right thing, even though two million people wanted to kill him and go back into slavery? Because he spent time with God because he sat in the holy place, because he allowed the radiance of the burning bush to illuminate his face before he ever went back down and addressed the crowds. Your time with God matters more than any book, any degree, any podcast. Anything you consume, first and foremost, has to be you humbly submitted before our God, getting your leadership and your guidance and your direction from him. I could keep rabbit trailing on that, but let's keep going. 
He says, didn't we say to you in Egypt, let us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Okay, I think I have another rabbit trail here. It says, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see deliverance that the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Ready? Ready? The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be you only need to be still. He says, "Hey, this adversary that we're running from, this situation that we find ourselves in that's that's uncomfortable. There's sand everywhere. There's a giant sea in front of us. There's the, what, what many scholars believe to be the world power at that time is chasing their tails. And Moses turns. And I don't know if this is me reading into Scripture or the way the NIV that I'm reading out of translate it, but it seems as though he addresses the crowd with a confidence. When he turns to them and says, hey, hey the enemy that you see there today, you're never going to see him again. And do you want to know how we're going to get to that place? You just need to be still. You need to drop the weapon that's in your hand. You need to release the thing that you think is going to win the battle to create space and room for that ever-present God to jump into this place of trouble with you because this is what he does for his people. There are two areas of, of weapons that we tend to pick up as humans in this life and as leaders. The first that we go to most often is our skills. So we'll go to our skill. We'll go to a communication gift. We'll go to a leadership gift. We'll go to the relationships that we formed. We'll go to our degree. We'll go to our education. We'll go to you fill in the blank. We go to the things that we are skilled at. And in doing so, we have left no room here for God because our hands are full. The other place that we oftentimes go to is our sin. Now, both of these are sinful. I don't, I don't mean to mix words here, but we'll go to a skill to take the place of God or we'll go to a sin. We'll, we'll have one more drink than we think we should. We will consume pornography because we're anxious and it puts us at ease. We will flirt with a coworker because things aren't good at home and that brings me a little bit of joy to, to know that when I say your hair looks good today and she bats her eyes, like it makes me feel nice about myself. We will, we will like massively consume copious amounts of food to the point where our bellies are distended and we feel exhausted because we've not only forgotten that overeating is a sin, number one, but number two, the feeling, the euphoria that we have when we fill our mouths with good flavors lets us forget the difficulties that we're facing. And in doing so, sometimes we can, we can, we can hold on to a sin so tight that we forget that there's even a battle. Like sometimes we can wield our skills so masterfully that, that we, we forget that there's actually an adversary. But what does the word say? The word says that your battle is not against, against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities. Uh, Ephesians 2 languages say the kingdom of the power of the air that's at work against you. We are in very much a real battle. Like the context of Psalm 46 applies to us as much today in a spiritual sense as it did to Israel as they're waging war against neighboring countries. And God wants to fight with you. God wants to join you in your ministry, reaching students, reaching young adults, reaching the people at your church and in your cities for the gospel of Jesus. And if you just let go of what you think is helping you to allow room for him, you get to see God be God. 
So here's what I'd like to do for a moment. I, I would like, Dom, if you're down to come up and play, here's what I want to do. I hope, I hope we've earned your trust. I hope we've gotten to know each other enough to do this type of exercise, or it might be a little awkward in a minute here, but that's okay. We'll, we'll cross that bridge if we get there. I want you to, I want you to spend time as we, as we sing and reflect on these words, as we praise God, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what, if anything, is in your hand. I, I want you to to humble yourself, spread out, get on your knees, get on your face, grab a friend if you need to. And I want you to process the question. I don't want to assume that we all have something in our hand, but I want to ask you the question, is there something in your hand? What are you turning to that is voiding the space that could be God's to join you in your ministry because you're grasping on to something else? And I just want to prepare you because after this, I I want us to maybe share a few of those things out loud with each other, okay? Let's do that now.
So in this, in this time of, of prayer and reflection and worship, there's, there's no need to go back to your seat. But I wonder if you'd like to just call out what is in your hand so as to create room for God to join you in what He's called you to. Is it a sin? Is it something that you're skilled at? What is it that's holding you back from getting to see God fight for you? Knowledge. Self. Self. Anger. Anger. Stubbornness. One more time. Stubbornness. Stubbornness. Thank you. Fear. Fear. Pride. Pride. Thank you guys for sharing these. What else is it? Acceptance. Shame, doubt. Yourself. Distractions. God's Word teaches that there's power in confession. That quite literally the way we drop that thing in our hand is through speaking it out loud and replacing it with Himself. Repentance is to change our mind, to turn. Friends, I I hope you know in the depths of your soul and in the deepest parts of your mind that God sees you, that God knows you, And He loves you. He sees everything. He knows. 
He knows our thoughts. We looked at that yesterday morning. He can discern them from afar. And even with that knowledge, that intimate knowledge of us in mind, he loves you. And he has invited you into something that is incredibly important and special to reach people with the good news of the gospel. And I want you to know that that message is for you too. For as much as Jesus died for your students, he died for you. For as much as you want to believe in the hope and future that the people you lead and shepherd have, you have the same thing. To those of you who wrote on your, on your beach ball this morning, I don't know if I'm making a difference. You're making an eternal difference in the lives of people. You are, you are advancing God's kingdom in the lives of people who otherwise may not get to hear and know this message if you weren't in their lives at this moment in time what you do matters. And there is power that God has for you. And all he asks for us to see his power on display is to relinquish the thing that we thought was helping us so that he can go before us and fight for us. Isaiah 41 tells us, he says, so do not fear, verse 10, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous hand. God wants to hold you up. God wants to support you. God has vision. God has dreams. God has resources. And God has people that he wants you to reach with those things. And all he needs from us to do that is room, is space. Is, is the humble acceptance that I am not smart enough, I am not gifted enough, and when left to my own dis, to my demise, I build my own kingdom, not God's kingdom. And so Jesus looks at you and loves you and says, let's do this. And my hope with this talk tonight is that we might have the collective realization that maybe something's in the way. And that that belief in ourselves, and that that belief in the impact that we're making, the confidence in the answers to those things can only be found through trusting God with what it is you're doing at this moment in time. He sees, He knows, and still He loves you. Let me pray. God, thank You for these men and women for their boldness to get a little youth groupy with me tonight. They get a dose of their own medicine. God, we confess to You that we don't have all the answers that no one does. We confess to you that in our times of fear and uncertainty and doubt, we will turn to the closest and easiest tool to pick up in our hand. And Father, we repent of that tonight because this is your kingdom and your power that needs to be on display for it to be built. Not our smarts, not our wit, not our skills, but your leadership and your guidance as we seek to accomplish what you've called us to. We love you and we thank you for your love in our lives. Will we not feel ashamed Rather, would we feel a burden has been lifted through us sharing tonight the things that are holding us back. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.